What's up, everybody? Hello and welcome to episode number 132 of the VK Bros. With the VK Bros, Jason and Alex Von Cannell. How are you this week, Al? Uh, I'm good. I had a very busy week this week. Yeah? Very busy. So busy that I had to get some uh, cheap labor from our dad. Oh, the cheapest. The cheapest <laughs> yeah. labor available. Yeah, so that really helped. It was good because yeah, I had nice. a couple of deliveries done in the day, which is yeah. nice. Beautiful. Um, yeah, my, my week was pretty good, pretty productive. The mother-in-law is taking a bit of leave this term, so she has come over to take care of Jake a couple of days, and I've been able to get some of the projects done that I've been not having enough time for. Uh, I finally put together the squat rack, so for all the mm-hmm. viewers, if I'm still fat in six months' time, it's a choice. It's not because I don't have the uh, the tools available, so you keep me uh, keep me accountable. And I also ripped out a giant clump of bamboo on Thursday, which uh, is all part of my garden beautification and fruitification uh, plan. So that was good. I feel like I got some stuff done this week. Well, I actually, I think at the last week I said that I was hopefully getting something done for my side project Mm -hmm. that we had a meeting and discussed it with the uh, other interested parties and that went really, really well. Mm-hmm. So by the time you're listening to this podcast, I should be at another meeting, hopefully signing off an agreement to start the build Nice of a tech company. Uh, I will release more information as I can, but at this stage, I'm keeping it under wraps. Beautiful, beautiful. Very, very exciting. And if anyone's looking to buy a Ferrari, I need to sell it. Yeah, autobros.com.au. It's on there now. It is on there? It's listed now, yep. Yep, yep, sweet. So even if you're just interested in what Ferrari Alex has been cruising around in, autobros.com.au for mm. all your used car needs. Uh, jump on there, have a look around. Obviously, definitely buy the Ferrari. That's probably the number one thing that you could buy, mm-hmm. but have a bit of search around the stock. If there's nothing on there that is suitable for your needs, just let us know and we can find something for you. Mm. Um, speaking of other things that will kind of already be happening or have happened by the time you guys are listening to this, I just wanted to briefly mention the big UFC fight that's on tomorrow. So we're recording this Saturday night. Uh, tomorrow, uh, about oh, it'll be about three o'clock in the afternoon, I'd say. There is the big UFC uh, two eighty four, I think is the number. Alexander the Great Volkanovsky versus Islam Makachev. Why is this big? So one thing that. Australians don't realise, I think a lot of Australians don't realise because the UFC is not really a mainstream sport, the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the entire organisation is Australian. That's Alexander Volkanovsky. He's had an extremely impressive run at featherweight. He has taken out all of the previous goats on his way to winning the title himself. So the, the really the featherweight goat for me was always Jose Aldo. He beat him on his way to the title. He beat Max Holloway, who was the guy who really beat Aldo twice in a row to mm-hmm. take over GOAT status. You know, he beat him three times in a row because they just kept giving Holloway uh, rematches because all the Americans wanted Holloway to, to win. So he's been super dominant, extremely impressive, but he's moving up to lightweight to take on Islam Makachev, who is the protege of uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov, the ex-lightweight champion. So exactly the same style just wrestle fucks the shit out of everyone and submits people, but is probably more of a complete fighter than Khabib was. He's got a slightly better boxing, a little bit better kickboxing, but just super dominant guy. Super dominant. Is Alex at a disadvantage because he's had to go up a weight? Has he done this before? He's 
so he has at the beginning of his career so this is one of the things that, I, that makes this fight a little bit interesting uh, before he went into MMA he actually used to play rugby league and he was about 205 pounds as a rugby league player and the featherweight division that he's currently the champion of is the 145 pound division wow so 60 pounds lighter. Wow. but he's he's very short stocky so his frame is a it's a big frame but it can just he can slim down to that weight so a lot of people are saying that Islam's just going to be way too big, way too strong. I don't think the size and strength difference is going to be as pronounced as people think it's going to be. Um, it's really going to come down to... Islam will get his hands on him and, and take him down at some point. It's going to really come down to whether or not Alex can get back up. Uh, I don't know if you've seen at all, um, but in one of his title fights, he was fighting Brian Ortega, who's one of the best Brazilian jiu-jitsu guys in the organization and he got he had sunk in a really really deep submission which everyone thought Alex was going to get finished and he ended up popping out of it and no one's ever popped out of a submission from Brian Ortega like that so he's definitely that bald head is it that chrome dome that gets him out probably that slippery dome yeah um but I think that's a big part of it but he's just he's just a beast and it what's interesting is I think on the tail of the tape, I think his height's like five foot seven, and Islam's like five ten or five eleven. So big height difference. But Volkanovski's actually got a one inch reach advantage, and right. that's real. Like, so in other words, it, the way that I think the fight is going to go, it's one of two ways. Either Islam's going to get his hands on him and just either lay on him until he gets a submission or just grinds him out into a decision, or Alex is going to be able to... So, yeah, you can see the height difference between the two guys there. Um, I think Alex is going to be able to stay on the outside and enter and exit as he sees fit and just landing shots and landing shots and landing shots. And what will be really interesting for me is if is to see what happens when this does get to the championship rounds at round four and round five because Islam Makachev, he has struggled to make the lightweight limit before. Obviously, Volkanovski going up from the 145 to the 155 pound division. That's an extra 10 pounds he doesn't need to cut. So, hopefully, that would mean that his gas tank is even higher than it normally is. And that's one of his greatest uh, assets in, in his uh, game anyways. He always just... He's got cardio for days and just runs, runs through people towards the end of the fight. Look, it's going to be a really, really interesting fight. So... I've actually been given the uh, the go-ahead from the MISO for me to go out to the pub and watch this one live tomorrow. I'm very much looking forward to that. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg is is going to be the next uh, his next opponent. Yeah, he won't. Yeah, he won't. Um, <laughs> but we're fighting him here on Twitter. It shows on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're fighting in the metaverse. But... In the metaverse, yeah. Um, but the big the thing is this is this is one of the biggest fights in UFC history when it comes to skill for skill. Pound for pound. So Islam Makachev's number two pound for pound fighter in the UFC. So this is the thing I love about the UFC compared to, say, boxing. The biggest criticism of boxing, you never see the best guys fight each other. And if you do, you see that well after they're in their, they've left their prime. Like um, uh, Floyd Mayweather versus Manny Pacquiao was probably the best example of it. By the time you got that fight, it was 10 years later than it should have been. Yeah. And it just was no, nowhere near as interesting as it could have been. This is two guys in their primes. I think Volkanovski's 34, 35. Um, Islam's about 31. So in the prime of their careers, 
number one, number two guy going for it. And a lot of people are saying if Alexander pulls this off, he actually becomes Australia's greatest ever combat athlete. Wow. So it, there's, there's a lot of stuff on the line with this. And it's, it's, yeah, cool. it's what, going to be incredible. So, would that be like one o'clock? Yeah, I think the the main event will probably kick off somewhere around maybe two or three o'clock in the afternoon. So I'm gonna I'm gonna head out at lunchtime so I can catch the whole main card. A lot of Aussie fighters on there. Uh, one guy who to keep a, an eye on is a guy called Jack Della Maddalena from Perth. Uh, he's a welterweight. He's a big up and comer. Uh, very exciting guy. He I think he's on an eleven fight winning streak. Um, He's only had three fights in the UFC. He's 3-0. and All three of his wins are first-round knockouts. And he's facing a guy called Randy Brown this weekend, who's a very big step up in competition. And it'll be really interesting to see where he's at. But I've got really, really big props on this guy too. I think he can uh, be something special. Because he's only 25 or 26. Mm-hmm. So he's got heaps of years left to put it put it together. But yeah, about, about eight Aussie fighters on the card this weekend. The card itself's in Perth. So... Uh, Obviously, it's not going to matter because uh, all the uh, the fight will be done by the time you listen to this. But uh, massive shout out to. I might go watch it because I'm playing golf tomorrow. I should be finished. I'll have like just after lunch. Might have to find a place to. Uh, For sure, it. if, if you're if because I know that you're not a big MMA fan, but from an Australian sporting perspective, uh, this is one of our biggest uh, showcases of Australian talent you'll see in a long time. Okay. Um, because it's okay. also the first UFC card we've had over here since COVID. So yeah. they're really, really turning it on. So it's going to be great. going to be great. Really looking forward to it. Okay. So on to the first thing I want to talk about. During the week, I've had... Actually, I've spoken to you a couple of times, and I think we mentioned it on the show last week, talking about states of the economy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm still of the opinion that we're coming into a major recession, yep. but no one else seems to be seeing it which is crazy. We had a rate rise in this week, uh, the, the week that's just gone back, uh, uh, by to, uh, um, up 2.5 or 0.25 basis points, uh, which we're, we're expecting to see another seven or eight or nine of those. Yeah. We've had nine straight rate rises. Now, the reason why I think we're nowhere near uh, curbing this inflation is some of the conversations I had this week. Mm-hmm. I had someone come to me asking if this was a good deal. They're trying to buy a new car, Toyota Land Cruiser, extremely hard to get, right? The new 300 series. Yep. And he was one. He was asking me, a car dealer, if I thought paying twenty thousand dollars more than the recommended retail price of Toyota was a good deal. Yeah. Right. Now, I'm like, I just can't, you know. I, I've been a dealer for 18... I've been in the car industry for 18 years. Yep. You, like, recommended retail price is too much for me. Yeah. Right? Yep. And you're going to pay $20,000 more. Effectively, just giving a bloke... Uh, so, there's there's people online that are selling their positions in the line, so you don't have to wait for a car. Right. But the wait's only about six or seven months on this particular model. Yeah, yeah. So, that was one... That's crazy to me. Mm-hmm. And it, it was like, I'm like, how can you... I said, this is a shit deal. Like, this is a really bad deal. Like, just work something else out. Like, 20 grand? Mm. And he's like, no, oh, you know, I've got the money. I don't care. And I'm like, okay, well, that goes to show that times aren't tough enough yet to start, mm. like, 
there's too much money going around. Now, another example, I was talking to another dealer friend of mine and they heard of two clients that had just taken delivery of two new 70 series Land Cruisers. Um, they actually realized they didn't need one of them. So they said to the dealer, hey, can we like not take this second order? And the salesman convinced them, and rightly so, said, no, take delivery and sell it. You'll make money. You'd be crazy to give yeah. up on this deal. Crazy. So I'm like, okay, they didn't even register it. I think they got a truck to pick it up. And, and they just got it home. The, the My friend offered them $10,000 more than what they paid for the car. They said no. They got $25,000 more from a dealer who's going to now sell that car for another $25,000. So a 90 grand car, wow. 25 on to sell for another 25 on. And they'll sell it. Yep. They will sell it. So there, there are some examples. And, and I, I was blowing up at some uh you know at the gym talking about some some of the, um some of the older guys in there and yeah. they're like oh yeah but if you got the money you should just do it and i'm like no no nah. you shouldn't you shouldn't just do it like that that is a huge amount of money even as a proportion of the overall cost of the car the premium as as a percentage is insane yeah. that is crazy and that's exactly what they're trying to stop. The, the, the Reserve Bank is trying to stop that because what they have said is uh, we are more than happy to pay way over what something's worth. Yeah. Therefore, we are uh, acting in an inflationary way. Mm-hmm. We need to do something to stop it. Yeah, and this, so, is, it, this is something that we've spoken about a lot. It's like how our society, at least in Australia, ever since the GFC, has become so ingrained in the spend, spend, spend to stimulate the economy mindset that people just are not changing their habits at all. There's no change of habits. Yeah. There's no change of habits. And I think people are still in the euphoria stage of it. I'm, I'm assuming a lot of the money comes from, like, uh, you know, the um, real estate increase or, or some of the guys are in construction, so they've got they've got work coming out their ears. Yeah. But like that cream's only cream. I don't know, mate. So it's cream right now. It's yeah. cream right now. But if you did like a five year average, is it going to be cream when it, we're in recession? That well, that's right. Year? Like it's cream at the moment, and it's sitting here. But the problem is, all the all the costs are starting to eat inch up towards it more and more every single day, and eventually it'll it'll take over it. The idea to curb inflation is to walk away and and do without things. And and then what happens is the people selling the things need to drop the price to get people to start buying those things again. Mm. But we've just proven that it doesn't matter what the price is. If we want it, we're going to get it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've seen a couple of things too uh, over the last week or so which have concern me too about the inflation side of things because obviously for me i'm a mortgage holder so i'm i'm feeling every single one of these rate increases because all it does is mean i have to pay more money every single month for nothing yeah um but two things number one i saw something uh, a quote from philip lowe the the rba head during the week where he was saying he is concerned that because you know how they they agreed to put up minimum wages so that comes into effect in July. Mm-hmm. So he's concerned now that the increase in the minimum wage will obviously then have a cost burden on business 
which will mm-hmm. then be passed on to consumers, which will f- become further inflationary, uh, which means he's concerned now that inflation may end up just becoming embedded in the economy. Yeah, as well as the 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 uh, wage increase as well. So the wage That's increase right. is inflationary as well because yeah. those people go and spend that money. Which we said that at the time when they announced it because they were already concerned about inflation at the time. So how does mm. it make any sense to give the, the lowest end of town, which is a minimum wage earner, which are the people who traditionally spend all of their money and live paycheck to paycheck, if, if you give them additional funds, those funds are going to be spent, which is therefore going to increase inflation, as well as the cost, the extra cost on business to have to pay those people in the first place. So, yeah, that, that's concerning. The other thing that I saw too is um, trying to read up on a little bit of history of using interest rates to curb inflation. And as a lot of people have been saying, is traditionally in the past to have interest rates at a high enough level to actually curb inflation, the rates generally have to go higher than the inflation. Yeah, I pulled up the Reserve Bank things. We did it on this show six weeks ago. Yeah. And the inflation that we're seeing now is higher than anything we've seen since the 1970s. Yeah. And the the interest rate, the Reserve Bank interest rate has hit 7.5% twice that time. It's the highest that it's been yeah. since 74. And we're, so we're nowhere near that. And they're, so they're saying inflation, the, the latest figure I saw was 7.8%, but I don't, I don't believe that it's 7.8% at all. I think it's far it, higher than that. It's 7.8% of the, the, the data set that they use. That they it use. is way more than that in, in reality. Yeah. But even if you use that, even if you use 7 point, that's four times what it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't, I don't see it slowing down anytime soon. Like I was listening to a podcast with Mark Boris the other day and he's got real concerns about it. He's also got concerns about the fact that he thinks that the reserve bank by putting the rates up this time is actually making the wrong decision because there are too many factors at force which are causing the inflation. And if we keep just increasing the interest rates, all you're going to do is cause a recession, which they're obviously trying to avoid at the same time as well. I don't think they're trying to avoid a recession. You think they're trying to go into one and they're just saying yes. they're trying to avoid it? Yeah. And mm. and I think we should go into a recession. So if you... Th- there's no way we can... Th- this is not sustainable. And you're not going to get... If, if these... How many rate rises have we had? Nine. Was the, nine straight. So no, nine straight has still not done it. So what's going to? So you're not going to get... We're still inflating, right? Mm. And rates are going like that. So we need to keep... We need to increase that curve of yeah. rates to get to... Just to level out. Yeah. But we don't need to level out. We need to bring it back. Anecdotally speaking, um, in, my, in my area, which really since we've moved in here almost five years ago has been relatively stable as far as house housing uh we've got two houses which have um, been having open homes on our street this week which are brand new now on the market uh and when you actually drive around the neighborhood i'm starting to see for sale signs everywhere so i think that a lot of people are already now starting to feel overextended by their mortgages and are trying to sell out what, what do you think about this as a as a potential solution because I, I was thinking about this during the week 
obviously being an owner occupier and having my rate go up i'm i'm not planning on selling and buying a new house so therefore i'm not uh contributing to inflation in that way mm-hmm. um Obviously, me having less disposable income means I have less money to be able to act inflationary with, but Correct. we've gotten so used to um, sort of batting down the hatches over the last three years of, you know, having time out of work and having kids yeah. and all that sort of stuff that we're not increasing any of our spending anyway. So I was thinking about, like, obviously, I'm, I'm just paying the price for all of this stuff at the moment. And one of my concerns is that the the people who are available now to take advantage of say the two houses which are now for sale in the street are probably a lot of them are, are investors and i was thinking about if they are trying to curb inflation and they're raising interest rates why wouldn't you like double the interest rates on new investment loans and cause no, I, well because then no one can get out of their old properties so if you've got a problematic property you can't get out of it and that and that, that's a market that's a you know, I hate market manipulation. It never works out. You're always going to have a byproduct. Uh, yeah. You're always going to have a negative byproduct of, of trying to. So you might you might try to do the right thing on this side, yeah. and the unknown consequences could be way worse. Yeah, and, and increasing interest rates to curb inflation is exactly the same. That's a market manipulation in itself. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah but if it was if the market was free, if all this free money wasn't given out, yeah. it would be a different story. Um, Oh, sorry, just just before I forget too, one of the interesting things that Mark Boris said on that podcast is he actually served on an advisory board to the federal government for like 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was telling a story, I think it was, he was talking to the federal treasurer at the time, which I think was Wayne Swan under Kevin Rudd. Mm-hmm. And they'd had this meeting and a lot of people agreed with Mark and Mark spoke to Wayne Swan saying, because uh, this was just post, so post GFC. So maybe mm-hmm. a year or two after the GFC. And what Mark was saying was he he had said to Wayne Swan, look, a lot of the measures that you put in place to give us a bit of a soft landing from the GFC, they have worked. We don't need to keep doing them. So he means the ultra low interest rates and all that sort of stuff and all the stimulus money they handed out back then. He said, I think it's probably time to start pulling that stuff back because the market actually doesn't need it anymore. It's mm-hmm. corrected and it's starting to go on the right way. And Wayne Swan just said to him, Mark, I completely agree with you, but we're going into an election year and there's no way I'm taking on the banking lobby in an election year. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and that's, here that, we are. And that's why, going to what I said on the last show, all you can do is look after yourself. Yeah. Because like we've said, it doesn't matter what's right. It doesn't matter what the right policy is. The right policy is not necessarily going to make it because there's other factors involved. Mm. So therefore, don't expect them to do the right thing. Expect them to do the wrong thing, but make sure that you're aware enough to make the right moves. Yeah, and look, that's, that is true. But, but where I, I always get to that limit because I'm, I'm exactly the same as you in that, I mean... We, we are practicing per, personal responsibility in our family. Like we are ba- banking money. We're putting it aside to make sure we've got enough to cover all the bills as they keep getting more and more and more expensive. Mm-hmm. So we are doing all the right things at a personal level. The problem is I am feeling the negative effects of what everyone else is doing. So mm-hmm. there's only so much personal responsibility I can take for myself when I'm having to pay hand over fist extra every single month just because of what everyone else is doing who is not taking personal responsibility. But all you can do, but all you can do is what you're doing. And that's fine. 
That's all. That's all you can do. And what's going to happen? Like there, there will be a critical tipping point. So if these guys keep spending the, the way they're spending, when it goes down, and it will, mm-hmm. they're stuffed. And then you have this rocketing down effect. Now, if you've paid all your bills and you're in a good um, financial um, position, then you, now you can maximize. Right, but if you've spent it all now, mm. if you've paid twenty percent overs for, for things now, you're going to lose forty percent by the time it corrects by. 40%. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Okay, yeah. There's so going that's to be some only... people in real trouble over the next twelve months, is what we're saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, I, I do. I have got some resource. I just wanted to throw this up here. Now, it does this doesn't say it as much as what? Uh, this is the fear and greed index. This one's for Bitcoin. I've actually got another one for. Uh, is that? I think I've got it. So if you look, okay. So the fear and greed index that talks about basically what we're talking about. So greed is is what the, my stories that I'd heard where people are so greedy they they're demanding twenty percent more and they're getting it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, in fear, in peak fear, so you can see like at the bottom of. 2019 here there was the absolute absolute maxed out on the fear level and that's when covid had first teed off and we we thought the world was going to end right yeah yeah where we're sitting right now is right in the middle Mm -hmm. okay so yeah it's putting us at 49 out of 100 uh, which is saying it's neutral but if you pull up this one here so this one says neutral as well but if you look at last week we're in greed. So we're now trying to find, uh, oh, that's not showing up. So we're now trying to find where we are in this cycle. Now, the people I'm speaking to, right? So my network has heaps of money. Yeah. Okay. Your network might not have that much money. So they might be more on the fear side. My guys are still on the greed side. They need to be fearful. Yeah. They won't be, but they will they will end up there if they keep doing the things that yeah, they do. Yeah, if they keep buying things that they shouldn't now and things keep going poor, like in the wrong direction, they will end up being fearful at one point. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Correct, correct. So it's just a question of how much pain's inflicted along the way. There's going to be heaps. There'll yeah. be... Uh, what's the um, interest rate right now? The The, the cash rate. The cash rate? Mm, not too sure. Three point eight five or something. Yeah. So this, in in my mind, I said it on that show six weeks ago. I said, with the the data that's out there, there's no reason why it shouldn't be at least the highest it's ever been. Yeah. Or equal to the highest it's ever been, which yeah. is seven point five percent. Now, if the Reserve Bank is seven point five percent, your your mortgage is probably going to be ten. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Now, I spoke to my thought. friend in real estate today. Mm-hmm. Now, he, he does real estate in, at the upper end of town. No finance. He Most of his deals are all cash deals. Yep. But all of the guys out there now are wanting 30% off sticker price. Yeah. Yep. And so, so they're because looking, they like, know. just like what you said, their investors looking for, looking for a deal. That's right. Uh, I, I know that this is definitely what's happening in... America, there was a guy that has a podcast and he was saying now's yeah, the time. No, no, it was a different one. This right. this this guy, he's just a property mobile yep. and he's like, uh, set the market yourself. 
go yeah. in and offer 40% less than what it is and just keep asking until you get it yeah. because people have no idea what's coming ahead. Yeah. Patrick Bet David was talking about, I can't remember the exact figures off the top of my head, but he was talking about trying to buy a building on his podcast recently. Mm. And about 12 months ago, he approached these people and they wanted $50 million for their building. And he said, well, no, look, the way the economy's going and the directions it's heading towards, um, I'll offer you $25 million for your building. And they laughed at him and basically told him to fuck off. And then they called him up about a month ago and they said, uh, if you're still in the market, we'll sell you the building for $20 million. So yeah. he offered him $12 million and he's still waiting to hear back from him. Yeah, this is the other thing. Retail, the retail investors, the retail sellers, retail homeowners, yeah. they're emotionally attached to the product. That's right. So, so they're, not saying gonna, this they're not going to offer those sorts of discounts up front to get out of the asset before, like they're not going to offer... 20% up front to get out of it before they lose 50. Correct. They're just going to see until they lose the 50. They're always six to eight months behind. Yeah. So I've seen it's the same cycle with cars. When cars were hot, they they were slow on the run. So dealers were going and buying cars and paying, like paying what people's asking prices were mm-hmm. in 2020 and getting more for it. Yeah. And then six months later, they cotton onto the fact. So they jacked their prices up. Now the prices are coming back. And they're still stuck in the past. Yeah. And that's where, like, if you're flat-footed, this is my whole personal responsibility thing. If you're flat-footed, you will get screwed. Mm-hmm. That's why you need to be dynamic. Yeah. And as I said to you during the week, if the Australian government really wants to curb inflation, they should just ban the sale of new and used land cruisers in this country. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. Let's move on to the next subject. Can we talk about the Chinese spy balloon in America? Yeah. Can I see if I can find my favorite meme about it? Yeah, see if you can find it. Yeah. So while you're trying to find it, um, everyone would have heard the story during the week of the uh, ch- apparent Chinese spy balloon that floated over American airspace and was subsequently shot down by the US military in the most American way possible with a missile. And a lot of people talking about it, it's all over mainstream media, it's, it's everywhere. And I'm interested in it for reasons other than what everyone else is talking about. So first of all, do you want to mention what what it is? Sure, you, you can go into it. Okay, so there apparently it's a weather balloon that has yeah. just gone wayward from China, mm-hmm. and it's a massive balloon that's got a, effectively a satellite hanging underneath it. Yeah, and and oh, this is a hold on, this is a good one. We can't hear baby going mental too. Like yeah, yeah. Um, shout out to Jakey boy who's just losing his shit in the background at the moment. I do like this one. So, uh, for audio viewers on Rumble, thank you for being on Rumble and watching on Rumble. Yeah, make and sure you subscribe. You, you can give enjoy. Us, give us a Rumble. So there is uh, four agents standing behind a white table with a deflated balloon mm-hmm. on there. Uh, I want to find the one. Yeah. So anyway, one their one balloon they let just fly straight over unencumbered, yeah. and everyone's like, "What the hell, man? There's this Chinese spy balloon flying over." And we're not doing anything about it. Like, shoot it down. Everyone in America was like, shoot it down. Yeah. And they never did. And then the second balloon came over. And then they went, all right, let's get this one. So they they blew it up. Now, what I find interesting is why shoot a missile at it when you could just punch a hole in it? Yeah. Like, you you just shoot a bullet at it, puncture it, let it drop down out of the sky. And then you can recoup any of the surveillance equipment that's on there. You can see what they've been surveilling and... 
all that jazz. Here is the official footage from <laughs> the Chinese spy balloon. This is my favorite. Now, I don't know, so audio listeners, do you remember the meme when drones first came out and drones were a thing? And it's a picture of like two redneck, yeah. a redneck couple with like tins of wood stocks on the ground. Oh no, they're Aussies. I didn't realize they're Aussies because it's a Great Northern beer. Yeah, yeah. That's just a Great and, Northern ad, right? And uh, yeah, they're, they're basically, it's an image from the drone showing this couple pegging tinnies and, <laughs> <laughs> and bottles and, at it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my favorite. I love it. Yeah. So everyone, like all the, all the mainstream media is talking about this. This is a, a breach of sovereignty from the Chinese. This is an act of aggression from the Chinese, blah, 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 blah. Let me tell you what this is. This is two things. Number one, this is confirmation that the war in Ukraine is almost over, and I'll delve further into that uh, mm-hmm. shortly. But number two, this is stoking anti-Chinese sentiment in um, the American citizens because when the Ukraine war does end, you need a new enemy, and they are trying to uh, start stoking that fire towards the Chinese to make them the next uh, persona non grata. Yeah, I, I agree with it. Yeah. I agree with that. I think, I think it's it's so... And, like, the first balloon was a parade lap for it. Yeah. Show all of America where, where the enemy is. Where's the enemy? It's up there. Yep. Make sure everyone sees it. Yeah. And yeah, then even just that. the simple things like shooting it down with a missile instead of actually being able to recover it, like, and, and do it sort of properly. Like, a missile is a show of force. It is a show of aggression towards, towards the Chinese. Um, now, the, the reason why I think the Ukraine war is coming to, a, to an end, there's a few things that have happened in the, in the last sort of month or so which indicate it that way. Number one, the US has uh, obtained its primary goal, which was uh, the supply contracts for liquid natural gas with European nations. Nord Stream 2. Yeah, so everyone remembers back when the Nord Stream... No Stream, no stream 2. Yeah. So when the Nord Stream 2 pipeline uh, got sabotaged and the Americans blamed the Russians straight away and we said at the time why the hell would Russia sabotage their own pipeline they're using to make money hand over fist by supplying energy to Europe and they could just switch it off Yep. and we said that obviously we thought that the Americans had done it well there's a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist who has just done a full story on this recently and it's 99.9 it's about as sure as the um, coronavirus came from the Wuhan Institute of Virology uh, I can pull up. We can watch the first two minutes of the breaking points thing about it if you want. Oh yeah, if you if you want to bring it up, I've got it up. I've got it mm-hmm. up. Just just keep an eye on the sound. Make sure that the sound uh, works yep. when I push play. Discussion. We're going to lay it all out for you. Seymour Hirsch, uh, the famous Pulitzer Prize winning journalist who uncovered the My Lai massacre, has put out a new report on his Substack. He says, "Quote: How America took out the Nord Stream pipeline." His subhead is the New York Times called it a mystery, but the United States executed a covert sea operation that was kept secret until now. So it's worth noting a couple of things. Number one is that Hirsch is basing this, all of this, on an anonymous source. But I'll read to you exactly what he said. The U.S. Navy's diving and salvage center is found at an obscure location down in a country lane in rural Panama City, a now booming resort in the southwestern panhandle of Florida. The complex is nondescript as its location. The center has been training highly skilled deep water divers for decades who were once assigned to the American military units worldwide, capable of technical diving to do 
the good using C4 explosives to clear harbors and beaches of debris and unexploded ordnance as well as the bad, like blowing up foreign oil rigs, fouling intake valves for undersea power plants, destroying locks. The Panama City Center, which boasts the second largest indoor pool in America, was a perfect place to recruit the best and most taciturn graduates of the diving school who successfully last summer when they were authorized to do a 260 feet operation under the surface of the Baltic Sea. So here is his specific uh, allegation. Last June, Navy divers operating the cover of a widely publicized midsummer NATO exercise known as Balt Ops 22 planted remotely triggered explosives that three months later destroyed three of the four Nord Stream pipelines, according to a source with direct knowledge of the operational planning. I will note that he is single sourcing this. He says it's somebody who uh, since been interviewed, he said it's somebody who would certainly be in the know. Two of the pipelines, which were collectively known as Nord Stream 1, providing Germany and much of Western Europe with cheap Russian gas. A second pair of pipelines called Nord Stream 2, but were not yet operational. Now, with Russian troops massing on the Ukrainian border and the bloodiest war since 1945, President Biden saw the pipelines as a vehicle for Vladimir Putin to weaponize natural gas for his political and territorial ambitions. So, so um, I would also, here, I'm going to stop sharing that. Um, your thoughts on that? Well, um, I'm assuming that the sole source, the on- anonymous source that he's referencing in this article is Joe Biden himself, who in an interview uh, earlier in the year was saying literally that if Russia invaded Ukraine, there would be no Nord Stream pipeline. I've got it up. Which is, I'm assuming, the clip that you're trying to find, yeah. I've got it up. Yeah. He is the very best way. For- well, hold on. Let, just to set it up, mm-hmm. the f- we, we said this... I don't know how many episodes ago it was. We we said it was either the Americans or the Israelis. It couldn't be Russia. It couldn't be Germany. Uh, it's not that it couldn't. It just wouldn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he, tell us what you think. If this helps you make your mind up. For all sides, we both agree. Including best for Russia, in our view. And we have made it very clear we're ready to continue talks in good faith with Russia. Germany has also been a leader in pushing de-escalation of tensions and encouraging dialogue through the Normandy format. If if Russia invades, uh, that means tanks or troops crossing the the border of Ukraine again, then uh, there will be be no longer a Nord Stream 2. We, We will bring an end to it. That's pretty definitive. Yeah. So, you know... Unless, I, unless it was a brain fart. Unless it was a complete brain fart. Yeah. Well, you, you never know with Biden. But, you don't. But the most interesting thing is, if you go back to... And you, I'm not going to get you to try to find these clips. But if you go back to like 2013, 2014, which is when the Americans actually organized the coup which got Zelensky elected in the first place because the previous leader of Ukraine was too friendly with Russia and obviously the Americans couldn't work with that. They said one of the main goals for America was to make Europe dependent on American energy and not on Russian. Mm. So what happened? Ukraine war breaks out. We've mentioned before that the Americans were flicking matches at Putin before the actual war broke out anyway, basically egging him on to make this war happen. Then the war happens. Then the Nord Stream 2 pipeline gets sabotaged. And then later on, uh, last year, I think it was sort of October, November, America signed new deals to supply liquid natural gas to uh, to Europe with uh, many different European nations. And the kicker is, 
they're actually paying four times more for it than what they were paying from Russians. So the Europeans are absolutely feeling the pain when it comes to energy, co- energy prices, and it is all in America's favor. So that's one thing that... So, so in other words, America's number one strategic goal of securing the energy uh, needs of Europe, done. Tick. Secondly, something else that happened over the last month uh, is Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky has announced new partnerships that he has signed with uh, a lot of business groups, mainly BlackRock, who will be funding the rebuilding of Ukraine at the end of the war. Now, any of you who have been around long enough to remember uh, the, the war on terror, and particularly the war in Iraq and Afghanistan and what happened in the aftermath, and if anyone has seen the movie Vice, Vice was a really good breakdown of it, essentially what happened with that war was uh, a company called Halliburton won the contracts to rebuild those nations post-war from the American government when and and they were non they were non-compete contracts so they they didn't even get a second quote Halliburton was a company that was i think uh maybe 50% owned by Dick Cheney who was the vice president at the time Man. who was ordering the obviously basically everyone any, anyone who knows politics back then was saying that basically Dick Cheney was running the government George yeah. W Bush was the hand puppet that they used to sell everything because Dick Cheney was so unlikable he's probably a little bit like Peter Dutton is now yeah right um but yeah basically so this war kicks off um based on false pretenses so back then it was these weapons of mass destruction which never materialized which justified an American invasion of two different sovereign nations. And then all of a sudden, uh, the company that gets the multi-billion dollar contracts to rebuild these nations uh, with a non-compete clause is Halliburton, which just happens to have a at least a massive share owned by the vice president who's running the show. So you're seeing something very, very similar breaking out in Ukraine at the moment. So they've just signed these deals with big players like BlackRock to fund the rebuilding of Ukraine. So that's the second part. The big business deals are now done. Tick. So the other part of this, which I kind of feel like the China thing actually helps to support as well. There's another American profiteering angle to this entire thing. And that is NATO. And you would have seen that uh, NATO has had a couple of new members join over the last few months because of the war in Ukraine. So I think Sweden joined, I think Finland may have joined as well. And they're trying to push for more and more countries to join NATO. So how does that benefit the US? Do you know how that benefits the US, Alex? Well, it puts missiles on uh, Russia's border. Well, that's one thing. But how does it benefit them financially? Uh, I don't know. It would hurt them financially. Well, it would hurt those countries, but it benefits America because part of the NATO charter is that each NATO member must spend 2% of their GDP on defence. And defence spending typically means buying weaponry Mm. from American weapons manufacturers. Trump tried to get rid of this deal because he said it's a bad deal for America, but it's a good deal for uh, weapons. Yeah, it's a good deal for weapons manufacturers like Raytheon, like Lockheed Martin, like the usual players. So the more countries that get recruited to NATO, who then have to pledge 2% of their gross domestic product 
to buying weapons from American weapons manufacturers, that's worth a lot of money. So how does France stick into this? Because they're big weapons manufacturers as well. They'll be pissed. Well, look what look what happened to the uh, French's uh, the, the French's uh, France's supply deal for us for submarines. They just mm. we just tore got, it up. They got stooged. Well, we we stooged ourselves because we ended up paying them something like two hundred million dollars to break the contract. Yeah. So we gave them that much money, and they have to supply us with nothing. But uh, yeah, we just broke contract with them, and and were probably forced into buying these submarines off America instead. Mm. which now they'll be doing with all the other NATO countries as well. And I feel like the now saber-rattling towards China, obviously everyone would see China as a bigger threat than Russia, is another urge to get more countries to sign up to NATO and more military spending. How does it look... Okay, so so if the Ukraine war is over, what happens to Donbass? Uh, I, okay, so sorry, there's one other element to this too which I, f- I failed to mention, which is uh, over the last week there's been reports that Elon Musk has uh, pulled back on the level of support that Starlink is giving the Ukrainians. So some of you might remember that uh, when the war first kicked off and the Russians took out a lot of the telecommunication software, uh, or infrastructure, sorry, I should say, Elon Musk actually sent over Starlink satellites so the Ukrainian people would have internet access. Now, what he has since come to find out is that Starlink is being used by the Ukrainian military to uh, do drone strikes and chemical weapon strikes. Mm. And that was never part of the deal. It was never supposed to be weaponized. Now, I'm sure he's a smart guy. He would have known at the time that it was being weaponized, but I think he also got paid $80 million to do it too. So, you know, he's a businessman at the end of the day. Um, but he has announced that, yeah, so he's pulling back some of the Starlink support that the Ukrainians are getting. So there's a lot of things which are sort of um, lining up, which basically they weaken Ukraine's position to a point where they may be forced to front up to the negotiating table. And I don't feel like you can end this conflict at the negotiating table without Russia getting uh, the regions well, they want. want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's okay, right. so okay, so we knew that was going to happen at the start. We'll keep an eye on that, see if that, that comes to fruition. So then what happens to Taiwan? Well, um, 2027 is supposed to be the next big year. <laughs> yeah. So mark your calendars for 2027 because I'm hearing a lot of reports in the American military. Um, American military. Oh, it's the same thing, I guess. Uh, American media. <laughs> about, uh, they're saying that the Chinese are planning on having their forces ready for an invasion of Taiwan by 2027. Do you think the Chinese know that? No. No. (laughs) No. Um, And the thing is, again, the wording's very specific. China's saying they want to have their military ready for an invasion of Taiwan by 2027. Not necessarily to invade, just ready in case they wanted to. So, in other words, the Chinese don't have to actually do anything for this uh, threat to be a perceived threat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, act, to escalate. Yeah, yeah. So that that is appears to be the next big year. And, and it gives you plenty of time in the meantime to obviously increase the pressure on other nations to join NATO, to increase the, uh, the constituent sentiment towards going to war with China. Mm-hmm. And 
one thing that you might remember from way back at the start of last year, one of the biggest concerns that I had before the the Russia-Ukraine war uh, actually kicked off was that America knows they are a dying economic powerhouse and I felt like the only tool they had left in the bag was war because yeah. they are still the mo- the strongest military on the planet and I really had concerns that they were going to use that those tools against Russia and against China and it's looking more and more that way at the moment so yeah stay, stay market tuned. calendars start buying canned beans and, <laughs> and bitcoin yeah and- but but the and good we'll news see is, you after the apocalypse. The good news is, I think that does mean that the at least the war in Ukraine might be over sooner rather than later, yeah. which would be nice for everyone involved. Yeah, no um, wasted life. Can we quickly switch to Project Veritas? Very quickly, yes. Very quickly. So another story to keep a, an eye on that came up this week was um, there's some of you may know, some of you may not know of a uh, media company called Project Veritas. Uh, they were the the figurehead is a guy called James O'Keefe who actually started the company himself over a decade ago, and they're an investigative journalism crew which basically expose uh, corruption using undercover filming techniques. And we've spoken about them a lot recently because of their latest Pfizer expose, which uh, had them catch out a senior Pfizer director talking about uh, directed evolution of the virus. Now. It appears that Project Veritas may have flown too close to the sun because a development that happened this week was that apparently there was a board challenge to James O'Keefe's position as, I think he's the CEO of, of Veritas, and to the point where he's been placed on two weeks of administrative leave while the board decides whether or not to actually kick him out of the company. Mm. So this is a big story. Because for anyone who knows of Project Veritas, they know James O'Keefe. Like, he's the guy. Yeah, he's the face of it. That's right. And there's a lot of conjecture out in the marketplace at the moment as to why this is happening. Because it seems to be based off... I was I was watching a video from Tim Pool the other day because one of the uh, Pfizer... Well, an insider at Pfizer has leaked the internal document to him... Uh, which was the complaint that they've used against James O'Keefe to uh, as the justification. Right. And it's it's flimsy at best. Have you heard about this at all? No. So this all stems from staff complaints about James O'Keefe himself. And a lot of it just sounds like general stuff, like he's a hard guy to work for. And, you know, anyone who is... Most high performers are. Yeah, that's right. But there's there were some key parts to the letter because it was signed by like 16 staff members or something like that. But right at the beginning of it, because Tim Poole actually reads out the majority of the letter, right at the beginning, it says something along the lines of um, some of the staff members who have signed this document have not experienced or seen uh, the behaviour outlined in the document, but felt compelled enough to sign it anyway. (laughs) And And it doesn't specify how many of those particular staff members there are. So, say 16 people signed it. It could be one person with a complaint and 15 people who just signed it, even though they haven't seen anything. And there were some really interesting and, like, outlandish sort of accusations. Like, one of the, one of the accusations is he stole the sandwich of an eight-month pregnant staff member and ate it. <laughs> right? Well, he's hungry. Yeah, yeah. Well, who knows? 
Um, and there's some stuff about like, you know, verbal abuse, which is, you know, basically yelling at people or, or whatever. But one of the interesting points too that I saw someone tweet about it is that uh, James O'Keefe is the first public figure that Project Veritas has outed without video evidence. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the reason why this story sounds very, very strange, number one, it's his company, he's the face of it. Uh, they they operate primarily off donations. So the majority of the donations they get is when he goes out to market and says, hey, please support our work. If you like what we're doing, please send us money. So he is the figurehead. So cutting him off seems very, very strange. But this does come on the heels of their massive Pfizer story. Mm. And when I've dug into it a little bit deeper, there's a lot of stuff about... He may have become a victim of a poor business structure because there's actually... Project Veritas is actually two separate companies, apparently. And one of the company... One of the sides of the company is like the, the the journalism side and the other side of the company is like a lobbying side. So they actually go and lobby to Congress to, you know, try to make things happen from from yeah. based on what they what the journalism side picks up. Now I can't remember the exact mashup of it, but one of the sides has more board members but less access to the money, the other side has less board members and more access to the money. And what people are wondering is whether or not this latest expose of Pfizer has had James O'Keefe flying too close to the sun and now there's been a board takeover bid to remove him from the company knowing full well that it might actually destroy the organisation in the process see I don't think I don't think it's that because it's the When that comes out, that Veritas is over. And not only is it over, but anyone that was involved in that is going to have the wrath of James O'Keefe and his followers. He'll just go start a new thing, Mm -hmm. and then he'll go and attack these guys, and their lives are over. I just can't see it. In a way, too, because when, when this first happened, I hadn't, like when we spoke about it earlier in the week, I hadn't seen that, the actual complaint document. And the thing, remember the thing I said to you was like, keep an eye out for character assassination of James O'Keefe. Because yeah. that's how they that's how they do these things. If, if this is actually like a coup attempt and, and a, mover to, a maneuver to remove James O'Keefe because he did fly too close to the sun, what they will seek to do is uh, assassinate his character. Mm. So then that way... If he does go out and try to start his own media company, they'll they'll just turn him into the next Alex Jones. He'll be a guy who any any gripe he has against Veritas or Pfizer will just be sour grapes, uh, and you know it'll be he's he's the guy who steals sandwiches from pregnant women. Like he's a piece of shit. Don't listen to him. Yeah, but it hasn't started yet. I thought that would like if I thought the attack would start now. Well, again, they haven't officially kicked him out yet, so. Mm maybe maybe there's plans going on in the background but at the moment he's on two weeks of, of administrative leave he's gone completely dark on social media which is probably partially uh, directed on him but partially to protect himself as well but look stay or tuned or a technique or a technique in what way well look everyone's talking about it let him talk let him talk let him build the hype mm-hmm. he's a marketer he's, he's, he's a marketing champion 
Yeah. Well, let, there's, let, there's... let the narrative form itself yeah. and then he can address it. And there's already been, like, I, I've checked a lot of Project Veritas posts on Twitter. Everyone is saying, where's James O'Keefe? Where's James O'Keefe? Yeah. I'm unfollowing unless you bring back James O'Keefe. So, yeah. look, I just think it's something worth keeping an eye on because sure. at the end of the day, Project Veritas is one of the most important media uh, companies in the world at the moment because of the things that they're doing. There aren't many people out there doing the work that they are doing, exposing the corruption that they expose all the time. Yeah, you'll never see you'll never see the underworld if you get rid of people like James O'Keefe. That's right. So it is worth keeping our eyes on and our our minds open. Look, at the end of the day, there is still a chance that James O'Keefe has done something wrong. Mm. I'm not going to pretend that that's yeah. not a possibility. All I'm saying is that on the heels so quickly after the Pfizer expose, it's like. That's their most watched video in the history of Project Veritas. Which you would think with their business model of primarily getting donations, that should be peak business for them. The more views they get, the more money they should be making. And he is the face of it. So See, it could be it could be a money cut. It, it literally could come down to well well, this was so huge, I want to pay rise, and they're like, Well, no, you you've had too much. That's why I'm not looking too much into it. I don't I, I th- I think we need to let more info come out first. Yeah, I'm not. I just, I'm not convinced it's a it's a Pfizer maneuver. Yeah. Well, like I said, keep keep watch for more uh, character assassination attempts on James O'Keefe. Uh, but we will keep, we will keep an eye on it, and we will bring you reports as new information comes to light. And on that note, cool. Let's leave it there. I'll see you next time. Thanks very much for joining us, guys. See you next week. Bye bye. <laughs>